Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I've learned a long time ago not to just do things for the sake of doing them. I believe with all my heart that I don't have anything to offer you and you don't have anything to offer me other than maybe a friendship. But if we walk together and we're obedient to do what God tells us to do, we can not only take on giants, we can take on demons and command over them that they have to leave and flee from whatever it is that we're faced with. Do you believe that? I believe it with all my heart. So that's what we're trying to do. We're endeavoring to find out what God wants us to do. I wanted to start today by, I wanted to tell you, I received an article from a friend of mine across town that uh, was announcing it. It was printed November the 2nd, 1953. I was only nine months old. (laughs) But it was about this church. It came out in the Bakersfield, Californian. I think I have a, do we have that copy of that? Is there a way we can put that on the screen? I don't know if you have it. But it was talking about our pastor at that time was C.M. Ward. C.M. Ward was pastored this church, at, not on this location, but he pastored the church for nine years. And it, the article was talking about how C.M. was leaving this church in order to move to Springfield, Missouri to begin a worldwide media ministry and that would eventually become known as Revival Time. But the article went on to talk about this church and the impact that this church had on its community at that time, but not only on the community, but on the world. And as I was reading that article, I got excited. It was like the Holy Spirit started churning in my, in my spirit an affirmation of something that I've been telling you almost every week, and it's this. The best days for BFA, and there it is right there, the best days for BFA are not behind us. We thank God for what he did in our illustrious past. We give him praise for that. But the best days for this church are before us. I believe that with all my heart. I'm praying that that will sink deep into your spirit, that the Holy Spirit will get a hold of you and give you that sense of anticipation for what he's going to do. I guess the question I ask as a pastor between the pastors, I'm asking, well, God, how are we going to get there? What do we need to do? How can we be a part of all that God wants to do in us and through us to touch not only the people in our community, but to continue touching the people in the world. That's what I want to talk to you about for just a few moments, and then we're going to partake of communion together. I would invite you this morning to open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. My friend Dr. Ron McManus, who is the president of Legacy Transition Group, sent me an email the other day. And I thought it was cute and I wanted to share it with you about an elderly gentleman who late one night he heard some commotion, some banging going around in his garage and he looked out and he saw some guys through the window. He didn't turn the line on but he saw them. They were robbing his garage and he had had thousands of dollars worth of tools out there. 
So frantically, he gets the phone, he dials 911, and he says, hey, he said, please send somebody immediately. I've got two guys are out in my garage, and they're, they're stealing my tools. Can you send someone? And the person on the other end of the line said, uh, listen, don't panic. Uh, as, soon as, I, as soon as we finish the conversation, you just hang up, but stay in the house. Unfortunately, we don't have any officers available right now, but as soon as we do, they'll come immediately to you. The man, the, the guy on the other end of the line hung up, so, so did this elderly gentleman. He thought about it for a couple of minutes. He dialed 911 again, and he said, hey, you guys just canceled that last call about bringing any officers out to my house. I've already shot those intruders. And my pit bulls have started eating them right now, so you don't need them. And he hung off the phone. In three minutes, the sheriff, the police department, and the SWAT team had surrounded this man's house just in time to see these robbers trying to escape with this man's tools, and they arrested him. And the guy, the, the, the police officer, the captain goes to the man who had made the call, and he said, hey, I thought you told us that you shot those intruders. He said, I thought you told me no one was available. <laughs> Listen, I don't recommend you try that. But that's one way to get somebody's attention, right? My question for us this morning is how can God get our attention focused on what gets his attention. That's what I want to talk to you about. And I want to talk to you today about loving our neighbors. What gets God's attention? He came to seek and save the lost, the Bible says. I heard one man say one time that most Christians are educated far beyond their level of obedience. Think about that one. In other words, if we would just live what God's Word has to say and as much Word as we have in us today, we would see more miracles and less turmoil. How many believe that? I believe it with all my heart. The book of Leviticus contains the priestly rules and regulations that God himself had passed on to Moses, who was going to teach those to the children of Israel. They were teaching them how to live a, a life of worship in everything that they did before a holy God. In the middle of these laws, you'll find an interesting passage of Scripture. And really, it's a command that Jesus would say that this is essential truth. It's found in the 18th verse of the 19th chapter of this passage. I'm going to ask you if you'll look at that with me. Verse 18. Interesting. It says this. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. True spirituality can be summed up really in two things. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. In fact, when he walked this earth, Jesus was always pointing to this horizontal dimension of walking with Yahweh. 
It was a horizontal dimension as well as the vertical dimension. He never separated the two. If he talked about people, it was because God wanted us to love people. If he talked about God, it was always he got, you know, our people. He was talking to people. He, they, it's all about him. And if he's talking about God, it's all about others. Always. You study Jesus' life and you'll see that. In other words, he's saying that our relationship is reflected in our interpersonal relationships with others. That's what Jesus taught. In fact, in James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, James actually goes so far as to say that we are hypocrites. Listen to this. This is these are not my words. I wouldn't have said that. He says we're hypocrites if we bless God out of one side of our mouth and we curse one another and curse our neighbors out of the other side. Each of us need to understand that even those people that we don't like were created in the image of God. And this morning up front, I want to answer the two most common questions that come whenever we talk about this subject. And I want to give you three practical steps that you can take to accomplish this command. And then we're going to take communion. I'm going to do it quick. So you better, if you take notes, you better write fast. You ready? Here we go. The first question is, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? My neighbor, according to Jesus, is anyone that God brings across my pathway. Doesn't matter who it is. That's that's who it is. Secondly, what does it mean to love my neighbor? As we're going to see today, it means treating that person exactly how I want to be treated. That's what loving your neighbor means. And let me show you how this works by sharing with you a very familiar story from the Bible found in Luke chapter 10. If you'll turn left in your Bible, you'll find Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Let's go right. I think we should go right. That'd probably be better. Look at verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Jesus, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, he replied. How do, you, how do you read it? He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert of the law wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and just who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a temple worker, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, those hated Samaritans, As he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. The expert Jesus went on to say, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? 
And the expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus goes back to what he had told him earlier. He said, go and do likewise. Jesus was trying to teach the people then and the people today and people of all generations. If we are going to really love people the way that Jesus intended for us to love them, we're going to have to go to people when they are in need. When they have a need, that's when we provide help. Help whenever you find a need. And one of the ways that we can do that, there are many ways that you can help to fulfill a need. But one of the ways is just by serving. I'm going through a couple of books, one with the, with the staff and another one with the boards. And, uh, and the one with the, that's on leadership that I'm talking to our staff about, uh, they cite an illustration from Tony Campolo, who is a Christian psycho- psychologist. He's a Baptist pastor. And he wrote a book called Everything You've, Ever, Everything You've Ever Heard is Wrong. Interesting book. He tells a story about Joe. Joe was a drunk who found Christ at a homeless mission. Joe seemed to be beyond help. He seemed, seemed to be beyond hope. He was a drunk. But every, he had lost everything. Everything changed for him the moment that he received Jesus Christ as his Savior. Joe became the most caring person in that entire mission. He had spent his days doing whatever needed to be done. I mean, he would do it with a smile on his face and gratitude in his heart that, just, that he was given a, another chance just to do something productive with his life. He could, you could find Joe cleaning up vomit. He would be scrubbing toilets. If there were men that came in that were too feeble to eat on their own, he'd help them eat. He'd feed them. If they were too feeble to undress and get into bed and get cleaned up, he'd help clean them up, and, and he'd tuck them in at night. That's the kind of guy that Joe was. And then, as you know, how many have ever been to a mission and see how they operate and how many, many times they'll bring all those guys in or gals, depending on the setting, and they'll put them in a chapel before they get to eat? Oh, that's cruel. <laughs> and those, most of the, and then they'll preach a salvation message. I grew up preaching as a young kid in a mission. They'd take our youth group down. We'd have to preach. That was our, that's how we were introduced to preaching. And so... They'll preach to those guys, and most of those guys just sleep through the sermon. They can't wait. They smell the food, and they can't wait to be released. And so you may get one or two hands that go up, but when those hands go up, those guys find Jesus. Their lives are radically transformed. The director got up that night at the mission. He started to preach a salvation call, and one derelict guy came down, and uh, he just crying. He threw himself on the altar. He's crying out, oh God, you have to help me change God. God, help me change. Help me God. Change me to be like Joe. Help me to be like Joe. And the director leaned over and he said, son, wouldn't it be better to pray? Help me to be like Jesus. And Joe, and the, and the guy looked up and he said, is, G, is Jesus like Joe? <laughs> Church, God has given us the ability to inspire other people. Joe didn't wear a cross. He didn't go out with a bullhorn on the corner and say, turn or burn, fry or fly. He didn't do that. None of those things. He didn't have the eloquence of speech that a lot of people have to even do, be used by God. But 
the thing that happened? He had a relationship with Jesus. And out of that relationship with Jesus flowed this incredible love that had an impact on everything that he did. And Joe started simply by serving others. And I want to suggest to you that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. Jesus teaches us that compassion has no boundaries. It has no limits. In other words, if I can put it in Johnson vernacular, you cannot be a hands-off Christian, not be a follower of Christ. Followers of Christ are right in the middle of the mess. They're serving. They're washing feet. They're getting engaged and involved with people's lives that are messed up because they know that the only thing, the only hope that person has is Jesus, and we become the, we become the vehicles by which God extends his hands and his feet to minister to them. That prepares us for our first takeaway today. The first takeaway from, from the first point is this. I don't like to drink in front of people. I got to tell you, my wife and I, we were not very spiritual yesterday afternoon. We went to a football game, USC and the University of Washington Huskies. The score ended 52 to 42, and my Huskies won. But I, I screamed and hollered, and I've come today with dry mouth, and so forgive me, you bear with me. Though I've asked the Lord to forgive me, so I'm just true confession is good for the soul. So I'm telling you this. But I want to say this to you. You can't have impact without contact. You can't sit in your home and have impact without contact of some kind. It doesn't work for you. It won't work for me. You say, well, I'm, you know, I'm 70 years old, John. I can't move around. Well, God's got something for you. There's somebody in your sphere of influence that you can touch for Jesus. I promise you that. And if you will pray and ask him, he'll show you who it is. We've got to start serving others. Well, that brings me to the second practical step that I want to talk to you about. We've got to start loving our neighbors the way God wants us to, by building relationships with them. But let me, let me show you another verse of Scripture, Romans 15, 7, and I'm moving quickly. This is, a, this is an interesting verse. Paul says this. He says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You know what Paul says? He says, accept people just as they are, just like God accepts you. How does he accept you? Unconditionally. He accepts you with his unconditional love. And I want to say that unless we start doing the same thing and loving people unconditionally, we're never going to have the opportunity to share with them the greatest news that they'll ever hear, and that's the news about Jesus. In the church we pastored in Covina one Sunday morning, and I don't know, Aaron, if you ever got a chance to meet these, this couple. This man and his wife walked in. They were probably in their in their mid-30s, he looked like he was 50. They sat about two-thirds back in the church. And I noticed that our, normally in our church, when the greeters or the ushers, either one, the greeters would usually bring them in and sit down with them and talk to them. And they didn't have anybody with them. 
And I thought, that's interesting. But it didn't take very long for our people to go over and start warming up to them. And, you know, they asked them if they'd like to take their kids to go with with them to see where the kids could hang out for service and how we teach kids. We do great things for families. They said, no, thank you. Uh, We'll just keep our kids with us. I preached the message that day. I invited people that would like to find Jesus as their Savior to come forward, and we would pray for them. And Jack and Jennifer were the first two to come to the altar, and they stood right there, and they had their two little children with them. And the first thing I noticed, he's wearing shorts, and he's got a a T-shirt on, and he's tattooed everywhere. He's got sleeves, his legs, his neck, And on his forehead, in big, bold letters, was a swear word. It was a four-letter word. Starts with F. And I don't have to tell you what it was. But that day, Jack invited Jesus Christ into his life. It was beautiful. And he was radically transformed. He told me how that... He had been released from prison just a month before and how he had grown up in gangs on the streets. And he said, I'm, I got out of prison. I determined I've got to turn my life around. He said, I was looking for a church that would just accept me and accept my family for just the way we are. And when he found that, he said, when I find that church, he said, I said I was going to give my life to Jesus. And then he looked at me and he said, today's my day. It would take Jack three years. Yeah, praise the Lord. It'd take Jack three years to get that crazy word off of his forehead. And he looks like, you know, he looks like a scarred burn victim or something because he's got these deep rivets. And that's how they get them off. They use chemicals. They, they burn them off. So, but he, he said I, I, he did it because he felt like God wanted him to do it. We started discipling Jack. And Jack became the greatest evangelist, not only in that church, but the greatest one that I have ever known. He would go, he would minister to the gangs, he would go to where kids were, the rougher it was, the bolder his witness was. He would go to places I don't even think the angels would go. But he was bold with his witness, and he would go in and make friends, and then he would invite them to church, and they would find Jesus, and our people started loving on them, and it was so cool, and our people loved them, and you know what happened? We accepted them. We started just loving them unconditionally, and you know what happened? God cleaned them up from the inside out. We didn't have to clean them up. That's not our job. Our job is to love them and accept them and to forgive them. How many of you think that it would be pleasing to the Lord If we at Bakersfield First Assembly start loving others and accepting them and gain a reputation, we have a reputation out there, all kinds of things. But what would happen if our reputation was, you know what? Hey, you want to get set free from something? Go down to that Bakersfield First Assembly. They know Jesus. They'll help you. They'll love you. You'll find a family down there. Wouldn't that be great? I wonder what could happen to the crime rate in this city, to the divorce rate in this city, to how many kids will be put in foster care in the next 12 to 16 months. How could we impact that if we just start loving like Jesus loves? I see that in you. I believe God's calling it out of you. And his name is Jesus. He's in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, let me out. 
I want to tell you. You say, well, that'd be great to have that reputation. You're getting it. You're getting it. It's already happening. It's already happening. One of the ministries that we partner with is called Celebrate Recovery. Nicole and Tony Sanchez have been a part of this church going on two years. God saved them out of addiction, abuse, hopelessness. I read their testimonies. I couldn't read them to you to see how far God's brought them. And it's been so amazing. It's been so amazing to watch them as they now are pouring back into people who come every Saturday night. And they pour into them and they tell them how much Jesus loves them and how he can set them free. But they don't just pray for them to see them set free. They teach them how to live free. And it's been some, so exciting to see. I'm excited today to tell you that we have asked Tony and Nicole to serve as our new directors for, for Celebrate Recovery. I want you to stand up. Give them a big hand, would you please? God bless you. We love you guys. We love you guys. Now, here's our takeaway. You can't have impact without contact. And you can't have impact without unconditional love. It's a fact of Scripture. I want you to know today, as lovingly as I know how to say this, God has not called us to judge. He's not called us to have critical spirits. We are more like Jesus when we bless and more like the devil when we curse. You don't believe that. Look at the scriptures. I'm putting the devil on notice. I'm going to talk to you about this in two weeks, what the Holy Spirit has been speaking to my heart about things that are attacking us. We're going to deal with that in two weeks from today. I hope you'll plan on being here. So you can't have this without... You can't have impact without unconditional love. And then lastly, and I'm going to close. I want our musicians to come if they would. I want you to look at Luke chapter 19. This is, we find another, another principle for really loving our neighbors in this passage. When I, was a, when I was a kid about this big, in Sunday school, we used to sing a song about this passage I'm going to give you. Luke 19 Verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector who was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, Jesus walks up to the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, get down out of that tree. I'm going to your house today. So he came down, and all at once, he, they, that's where they went. And all the people, listen to this, all the people saw this and began to mutter. The King James says, murmur. He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said this to the Lord. Look, Lord, here and now. I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said this, today, everybody say today. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too 
is a son of Abraham. And then this verse, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Notice the sequence. Jesus first went to him, went to his house, and had lunch with a sinner. And then, everybody say then. Then he ministered salvation to him. Friend, if you're going to have an impact on lost people, on your, on your neighbors, you're going to have to get out of our comfort zones. We've got to meet people who are different from us. We've got to get outside the walls of this beautiful facility and into the community and become a friend of sinners just like Jesus did. That's what true followers of Jesus Christ do. Get out of your comfort zone for the sake of others. And I want you to know that takes a sacrifice on your part. It means you've got to invest your time into others. But how many of you know that love without sacrifice is convenience? And I hate to burst your Christian bubble, but God did not send his son Jesus just so he could make his children, you know, People of convenience are comfortable. He wants you to be comfortable, but he cares far more about your character and my character than he does about our convenience. Are we Christ-like? That's what he wants to know. And he will work in our lives. That's what he's doing. He's chipping off the the rough edges so that when people look at us, they may not remember our name, but they'll remember the God we serve. Today, I want you to hear from Chris Guerrero about an opportunity that we as a church have to make in our community. We have an opportunity to touch 200 lives. We call it Love for Thanksgiving. Watch this, if you would, please. Good morning, church family. My name is Chris Guerrero. We are doing Love for Thanksgiving again. Last year, we fed 70 families. Almost 770 people were fed by our outreach this year, and it looks like God has met the task at 200 families. We will feed 1,150 or so people this year with this ministry, and we are asking for you to partner with us once again. So we've created a box. That box is going to be $40, and that will include the turkey, the pie, and all the fixings that go with it. So we are challenging the church to do three things this year. One, to buy the box that's gonna be delivered to these families in need. Two, to pray for the box. We have a list of the child's name, the mother's name, and the address of where this box is gonna go to. Or three, which we think is just the best thing, and on Wednesday the 22nd at 12 p.m. to deliver that box. So this is how you can do it. After service, go to the lobby. You're going to see the box and everything that goes with it, a sign-up sheet, and a prayer list. We want you to either participate in purchasing the box, praying for the box, or delivering the box. Or do what we want you to do and do all three. And we would just like you to partner with us as we go along through this journey one more time, meet the call that God has asked us to do. That ministry has grown over the years. We started with started with 20, ended up with 40, and it just keeps multiplying. We give God praise. I hope you, he gave you three ways you can be involved. You can give, you can pray, 
and you can go actually do, take the box to the people. I would hope you do all three. That'd be awesome. How many people? 1,100 and some people that 200 families represent? We have that opportunity. And that brings me to our third takeaway, our last one. You can't win people to Christ unless you build friendships with them. You say, how does this all pertain to me this morning? Well, Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he says, after he ascend, getting ready to ascend to heaven, after his resurrection, he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. You're going to wait there, and you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses. Well, where, Lord? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Today, God may not be calling you to be a missionary, to go somewhere around the world, a foreign shore. He may not be asking you to sell your home and move into a low-income housing project where you can start ministering to the people there, but I promise you, he's asking every one of us to start loving our neighbors. None of us are exempt from this. That's your neighborhood. That's your workplace. That's your sphere of influence. In a little over a month, you will have an opportunity to invest and invite friends, families and neighbors to one of our Christmas services. On the 10th of December, we're going to have a family Christmas Sunday and we'll bring all the family together. It's an opportunity to bring people in your neighborhood, in your family, make sure that they have an opportunity to hear the greatest message of of the world, that Jesus came to be with us, God with us. And then on, De- on December 24th, we'll have two Christmas Eve services, one Sunday morning, one Sunday afternoon, and those are identical. It, you don't have to come to both, but you could bring your family, friends, your neighbors, others. You could bring them to one or bring, bring two sets. That'd even be better. You say, well, what, what, what are you wanting us to do today? Well, you received this card when you came in this morning. I'm going to ask you to pull it out. It's called an invest and invite card. If you didn't get one, our ushers are poised and ready to make sure that you aren't left out. If you didn't get one, lift your hand and we'll make sure you get it. There's some here in the centers. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Yes. And just lift your hand way in the back. Thank you so much. Over to my right, there's a bunch over here. Just leave your hand up and they're coming to you. Let me read it for you. It says, invest and invite. I will seek to invest in others who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and invite them to church. Colossians 4, 5 says, live wisely among those who are not Christians and make the most of every opportunity. And then on the back, the following is a list of three people I am attempting to invest and invite to this journey. I will do three things. I'm going to pray daily for them. I'm going to share my own verbal witness with them. And then I'm going to invite them to church. You can sign it and date it. I'm not asking you to give these to me. I'm asking you in just a moment to fill them out and put the name of someone. I'm going to pray over you. And God, by his Holy Spirit, is going to give you at least one. He may give you three. He may give you more. But I'm going to ask you to put those down. And every Sunday leading up to to these different services we're going to have, we're going to pray over that list. We're going after. We're declaring spiritual warfare and we're going after your neighbors but it's going to take you and me pulling together because we're better together in just a moment we're going to partake of communion so if you have those 
you're, get ready. We're going we're gonna to do that. But right now I'm going to pray, and then I want you to fill them out. Heavenly Father, now, Lord, I'm being obedient to you today. I don't even live in Bakersfield except on the weekends. But I'm asking you, give me some names. Show me some folks that I can reach that are in my neighborhood, in my sphere of influence, where I live, where Leanne and I are living here on campus. Help us, oh God. And we'll write those names down. And with your help, I'm asking that you'll give every person here favor with those people. And that, Lord, we will see them come to a place that one day, it may be at Christmas, it may be next year, but we're going to believe that one day they're going to be standing at this altar with their hands raised high, singing the praises of Almighty God. Give us those names. Help us to write them down in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to write them down. And now we're going to share communion. I'm going to ask you to pull the very carefully... Pull the cellophane off, or the, the tap. Now, for some reason, I may need a little help here. I, can, I can't get the bread portion to open on that. You got it? Oh, it's there. Put your hand down there. Put your hand on the bottom. Oh, it's on the bottom. I've never seen these kind before. That's cool. The bread's on the bottom. You knew that. You were testing me. Does anybody, has anybody not been served right here? Anyone else who has not been served? Lift your hand. In the balcony, yes. Anybody else? Yes, there. May I say this? Over here to the left, Craig, back here. May I say this? The people on your list have not been served. How will they be served? unless you and I go to them. I want you very carefully to stand to your feet, if you would, please, as we prepare to close by partaking of communion. Paul the Apostle writes these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We are a Pentecostal church. We believe in divine healing. We believe that that when the scripture says that he took stripes on his back for us, those stripes not only healed us relationally, with, with Father God, but they, heal, they provide for physical healing. If you're here and you need a healing today, I want you to hold that wafer up as I pray, just before we partake. Heavenly Father, you see today those in this room that are needing healing. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for taking on your back a stripe with my name on it. We can't even begin to fathom what all you went through for us, Lord, but we are grateful. I pray for miracles to happen as we celebrate Jesus today and all that you've done for us with your death, burial, and resurrection. In Jesus' name, bless this wafer as we partake.
Amen. Would you eat with me, please? Hallelujah. Why don't you thank him? Thank you, Lord. Those of you that were asking for healing, thank him. Lord, thank you for my healing. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Bow your heads with me. This cup represents forgiveness. There is no sin too black that Christ's blood can't sponge clean. I don't care how many times you've done it. He forgives. There's no guilt. There's no fear. There's nothing, no shame that can stand between you and Father God because of what this cup represents. This cup represents healing between siblings. It represents forgiveness for you harboring a grudge against someone. It's forgiveness. And today, if you want to receive that forgiveness, maybe you're for the first time today, I want you to hold that cup up. If you need forgiveness today, you know, there's something you need to get under the blood. Maybe you, you're sharp with your spouse and you said things you shouldn't. Maybe even on the way to church. You need to ask forgiveness of the Lord and you need to ask forgiveness of your spouse. Or maybe it's your boss. But today, you're saying, God, forgive me. I celebrate what you've done. Heavenly Father, you see the cups that are raised. I have mine raised. I want to thank you for saving me from my sins. Lord, I, I, you changed me. There's no comparison that the, the old John Johnson, nobody would even know. But God, you made me new. And every day you're working and sanctifying me and making me more like Jesus. I thank you for that. We celebrate this forgiveness and we ask you, Lord, to continue to wash us clean. In Jesus' name, bless this cup as we partake. Amen. Let's drink together. Hallelujah. Let's thank him, friends. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The early church, they would take communion every time they gathered. And they would partake. They would sing a hymn. And then they would love one another on their way. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.